if you draw a line between your temptations and its root and your conflicts and its root, they both flow from the same root, the cravings that are in your heart and mind. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part two of War and Peace, Learning to Deal with Conflict. You know, wars and conflicts are a recurring theme throughout history, certainly in the affairs of nations, but also in the lives of individuals. Perhaps even now you find yourself in conflict with someone in your life. But what is the source of conflict, and how are believers meant to respond to conflict with others in the world and in the church? Let's join Tom Pennington now as we discover more from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, here on The Word Unleashed. Paul had written 1 Corinthians to them. He'd written a letter that we don't have recorded for us in the New Testament. And then he'd written this third letter that we call 2 Corinthians. And at the end of this third letter, and all the time Paul spent in Corinth, listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish, and may therefore be found by you not to be what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances in the church. This is a reality you find the same thing was happening in the church in Philippi. There were these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who were at each other, and he urges them, he pleads with them to live in harmony in the church. It's a problem. And the same problem was true to those Christians to whom James writes. James writes to these believers who used to be a part of his church, and he says, I'm concerned about the conflicts that are going on among you and how it damages the testimony of Jesus Christ. 17th century Jewish philosopher Spinoza wrote these really chilling words. He says, I have often wondered that persons who make a boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred, that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith, end quote. Wow, what a terrible indictment. What you and I have to do is we must each ask ourselves, am I a reasonable person? Am I easy to be entreated? Am I peaceable? Or is there someone, or is there, are there many people with whom I tend to quarrel and argue constantly? The people who know me best see me as a quarrelsome person, constantly engaging with at least one person and maybe a number of people in arguments and fights of various kinds. When there is a Christian who is engaged in quarreling and arguing and fighting and conflict with others, the question comes, where does it come from? How can this be? Where does it come from? You know, that's an interesting question in and of itself. Why would James begin his discussion of conflict with that question? There's an important implication to it, and it's this. 
You and I tend to look at merely the external. We tend to get carried away with the external, and we want to fix the problem by doing a little better in our interaction with people. But our God is never content to let us deal only with the outward manifestation of our sinful hearts, in this case, quarreling and fighting. Instead, the Lord in Scripture, we're always being taken to the sinful attitude or the thinking or the mindset or the motive that lies behind that external sinful act. You see, it's not enough to try to get along with the one you're quarreling with. You've got to ask yourself, why? Where is that coming from? What is it in my sinful heart that's causing me to argue with others? You need to discover what prompts you to fight and quarrel. What's the source? You don't have to look very far because James tells us exactly here where the quarrels and arguments come from, but let me just tell you, you're not going to like the answer. He tells us those quarrels, those fights that you engage in, that I engage in, they come from our sinful hearts. We're the real problem. Now, this is important because what do we all have a tendency to do when we get in a fight or a quarrel? We are the ones who are taking the moral high ground. We're the ones who are right. We convince ourselves we have this tendency to defend ourselves and immediately assume that we're right and the person that we're arguing with is wrong, that we are the ones who are in the defensible position. We're the ones who are taking some noble defense of the truth. But James doesn't allow that. He says, forget about the other person. You can read James 4, 1 to 10 all you want, and you won't find the other person in the argument mentioned at all. James is talking to you as you hear it and to me as I read it. He's addressing each of us individually. He doesn't even think about the other person. You see, it doesn't matter who the other person is. doesn't matter whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. doesn't matter whether they're doing what they ought to do or not doing what they ought to do. If you're involved in a quarrel and an argument, the problem is with you, and it's with me. And by the way, it doesn't even matter what the issue is. Notice that James never tells us in these verses what the issues were that were causing conflict among these Christians. We don't know. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who was right or wrong. If there was quarreling and fighting, both were wrong. And that's what James wants us to see. If you're engaged in quarreling and arguing, the source of the problem is you. But James gets more specific. Notice verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, this is obviously a question that is not a question. You men understand this. It's like when your wife says to you, you're not going to wear that, are you? Now, that is obviously and most certainly not a question. She is not looking for information. She's making a point. It's an affirmation. And that's exactly what James is doing here in the second half of verse 1. We could legitimately convert this to a statement of fact. James says, the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you is your pleasures. Now, this is absolutely crucial to understand. The key word here and the crucial concept is this word, pleasures. You'll notice that word occurs again at the end of verse 3. The word pleasures translates a Greek word that you'll recognize. It's the Greek word, hedonae. It's the word from which we get our word hedonist. 
Originally, this word was used to describe the feeling of desire perceived only through the sense of taste. Let me show you how this word is used in the New Testament. It's only used five times, two of those times here in James 4. So let's look at the other three times it's used. Turn back to Luke chapter 8. We need to get a handle on this word because it's crucial to unlock this passage. Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. Jesus is in the middle of the parable of the soils, or as it's commonly called, the parable of the sower. And you'll remember the one kind of heart, the one soil was the one with thorns, and the seed of the gospel is sown there. And Jesus is now explaining what that means. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. The seed, the gospel, which fell among the thorns, these are those who heard the good news, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches, and here's our word, and pleasures of this life. By the way, the word life here is the word bios. It's the word from which we get biology. He's talking about natural life. He says, these pleasures of natural life, of life here in this world, as opposed to the true pleasures that are found in God, choke out the gospel and cause a person not to truly savingly respond. So we find that these pleasures are part of natural fallen life and are antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Here we learn something more about these pleasures. Not only are they opposed to the gospel, not only do they crowd out spiritual interests, but in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, Paul writes, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, in slavery to various lusts or cravings, and here's our word, pleasures. So we find that as part of who we used to be, we were absolutely in slavery to fulfilling the demands of our cravings and pleasures. In 2 Peter, and you don't need to turn there, but in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter says, speaking of false teachers, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Here he's talking about false teachers being given over to pleasure. Now, the other two occurrences are in James chapter 4. The one we've already seen in verse 1, the source, your pleasures. And then the end of verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, what I want you to notice is that this word hedone, or pleasures as it's translated, is a synonym with another word you know, the word lust. Lust, by the way, doesn't speak of just sexual temptation. It speaks of craving a strong desire for anything that's opposed to God or outside of his purpose for you. Now, notice James uses this word in its verb form. Chapter 4, verse 1 is our noun pleasures. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, you lust. There's the verb form of our word lust. So basically, he uses the two synonymously. That's important that you understand that because there is a rich theology behind these two words. They are identical. They are the same. By the way, notice James adds a clarifying comment at the end of verse 1. He says, your pleasures that 
are constantly waging war in your members. Your members is probably a reference to our human bodies, our individual human bodies. So here we have in James a powerful picture. Listen carefully. He's saying that within us, within every one of us, there are strong desires, are cravings, which are a continual assault on our souls. You see, the New Testament speaks of believers having a part of them that is yet unredeemed. The Bible calls it our flesh. We are a new person in Christ. We have a new heart. We've been given a new desire to serve God and new power to do so. But we retain, even as believers in this world, what the Bible calls our flesh. And the key characteristic of our flesh is that it has within it these cravings that long to be satisfied. Their clear goal is to secure satisfaction for themselves, and because of that, they war against our souls. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you to abstain from fleshly cravings, lusts, which wage war against the soul. These cravings, these strong desires, or maybe another word would be sinful expectations. They're expressions of the flesh seeking satisfaction. And here's what you need to understand. Turn back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13. When you're tempted, don't say God did it because God doesn't tempt anyone. Here's how it happens, verse 14. Each one, every one of us, is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own cravings, his own lust. Here's the synonym. Here's the point you need to get. Within your heart and within mine, in part of what the Bible calls our flesh that we retain, it's not strictly the human body. It includes the human body, but it's more than that. There's part of our immaterial part that's affected by this as well. As part of who we are, there is these desires, these strong cravings for what will satisfy And James wants us to know that it's out of those cravings that temptation grows. Our temptations are involved with these cravings. But more than that, these same cravings, these same lusts, these same sinful expectations not only lead us into temptation, but they lie behind every sinful conflict. In other words, if you draw a line between your temptations and its root and your conflicts and its root, they both flow from the same root, the cravings that are in your heart and mind, those desires for whatever it is that's opposed to God. Could be sexual, could be for power, could be for acceptance, could be for peace, could be for security, could be for comfort, could be for a certain appearance, could be a craving for whatever. But those strong cravings are what drive us into temptation and into conflict. You say, how do those cravings produce conflict? Well, listen to D. Edmund Hebert. These cravings in demanding gratification actively enter into conflict with fellow believers who thwart the fulfillment of those desires. In other words, outer conflicts reveal this inner tension. John Blanchard puts it another way, the simple truth is that a man can only satisfy all of his own self-centered desires by conflicting 
with the desires of other people. You see, what happens is when your desire, when your craving for whatever it is you want is thwarted by that other person and they want what they want, therefore conflict is created and arguments begin. What's the source of conflict? James says it comes from the cravings, desires, and sinful expectations that are a part of our flesh. So how can we stop quarrels? Well, there are several steps to dealing with conflict that are in this paragraph. We've just begun to look at the first step. James says, identify the true source. The true source, listen carefully, is not the issue you're arguing about. The true source of the problem isn't the other person. Please listen and get this into your head because this is the lie we tell ourselves. When we quarrel and when we fight, the issue isn't the issue. The issue isn't the other person. It's us. It's you. It's me. Specifically, it's our pleasures that continually wage war in our members. When those desires we have go unmet, when our cravings are not satisfied, when our expectations are not fulfilled, then we strike out at the person who stands in the way of that self-satisfaction. Here's your homework for this week, and mine as well. Every time that you find yourself in a quarrel this week, every time you find yourself in an argument, in a verbal war, stop and ask yourself this question, or if you're carried away and you don't stop after the fact, ask yourself this question. What self-centered craving am I trying to protect by engaging in this argument. That's the real issue. When you argue, stop yourself, forget the other person, forget the issue that is supposedly being argued, and ask yourself the simple question, what self-centered craving am I trying to protect by engaging in this argument? And with each argument, it may be different. Or you may find a common thread. But regardless... James says you've got to start in dealing with conflict by understanding where it comes from. It doesn't come from the issue you're debating. It doesn't come from the other person and their problems. It comes from your heart and from my heart. If we're engaged in quarreling, then we're the issue. Why is all this so important? Why is it important that we deal with conflict? Why is unity so crucial? Why must we overcome conflict with peace? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me show you what Paul says. Here's why it's important. He begins this practical section of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, by saying, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, and do it with humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Watch verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, listen, we're all connected Preserve the unity. Preserve the unity. Get over the conflict. Why? Verse 4. Here's why. There is one body. Folks, we're all connected to each other. There is one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, there is one Lord. We worship and bow to one Lord. How can we fight with each other? There is one faith that is one body of doctrine that we have come to embrace. And one baptism, probably a reference to our actual baptism after conversion, when we're put under the water as a demonstration that we've committed our lives to follow Christ. 
one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He wants us to understand that we need to be united. We need to get over conflict because of who we are, because of what it says to those around us, how it demeans and destroys and demolishes the beauty and character of Christ and his church. Robert Johnstone, the 19th century Scottish preacher, wrote, Men and women who on the Sabbath have sat side by side at the Lord's table and drunk of the common cup of love will scowl at and argue with and thwart each other all the week. And the feeling is not infrequently such as to remind one of the host of Midian when every man's sword was turned against his fellow. End quote. It's exactly right. We worship one Lord, we eat one bread, and we drink of one cup. May God help us to be committed to living together in peace in the church, in our homes, and in all of our relationships. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the reminder of our own sinful hearts. Lord, help us not to be content to deal with the external. Help us to go deep as your Spirit does, identifying the wicked sins within our heart, those sinful cravings and desires and expectations that when they're unfulfilled cause us to break forth in quarreling and arguing with others. Father, help us to dwell together in unity. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful reminder that we do live in unity, that we all have shared of the one provision you have made for us in Christ. Help us now to prepare our hearts to partake of it in a way that doesn't in any way demean the death of Christ for us. Father, we ask that you would forgive us We come to you as those who belong to you and yet who've been bathed, who've been washed, who've been sanctified, but who have, as our Lord reminded us, gathered dirt on our feet, as it were, as we've walked through this world. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. Cleanse us. Make us new. Lord, we confess to you our selfishness, our self-love, our desire above all else to meet our own desires, to fulfill our own cravings. Father, forgive us for our pride, for our argumentativeness, for our lack of peace. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us as well for taking those things lightly. Forgive us, Father, for not loving you like we ought to love you and not loving our neighbor as ourself. Forgive us for using our mouths to maim and injure others. Father, forgive us for allowing those things in our minds that run contrary to your will and purpose. Forgive us for speaking those things that are contrary to your revealed will and for doing those things that are in disobedience to you. Father, cleanse us. Give us a renewed resolve to follow you, to serve you, to love your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, War and Peace, Learning to Deal with Conflict. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast as he once again brings us to God's Word. 
But before we leave you today, Tom has some closing thoughts for us. Tom? In the very person of God, in the Trinity, there is unity. And God desires that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, also be united. We have to deal with conflict and get beyond it because of who we are, because of the fact that we reflect His image, and because of what that conflict says to those who are around us. It absolutely destroys and demolishes the beauty and the character of Christ and His unified church. God's Word says that we'll know that we're His children, and the world will know that we're His children because of the love that we have for one another. Conflict is a rejection of that love. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.